Hi, it's Jeff, host of the podcast. My latest author interview will be up in just one moment. I'm not going to ask you to buy anything. I'm not going to ask you to go and review the podcast. What I am going to do is take just one brief moment and ask you to recommend the podcast to just one friend. If you're a writer or if you're someone who just loves books and you love this podcast and the interviews that I do, all that I ask is that you recommend the podcast to just one friend. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Russell James, author of the novel, The Demon Dagger. Russell, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, The Demon Dagger, how would you describe the novel? Uh, a Demon Dagger is a horror novel, horror thriller, and the story, the main character is Drew Price, and he has the ability to, when a demon possesses someone and a, a host, he can see the demon within, whereas the rest of us can only see the person on the outside. And this ability has let uh, Drew become a demon hunter. Well, an archdemon named Nicobar, who was exercised and sent back to hell a while ago, has returned, and that archdemon wants revenge against demon hunters, and Drew is top of his list, and his family is not off limits, so Drew's got some problems. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Demon Dagger? Well, most of the, most of the stories uh, that I write, I get an idea, and that kind of sets me on a journey to tell the story from the beginning. And Demon Dagger was the first one that started me in the middle. And I live in Central Florida, so I go to the theme parks a lot, and I love them. And I was thinking about the characters that are there, the costumed characters, and the conventional myth is that the Mickey Mouse character, as an example, is always a female person because it's such a short character. It's easier to find someone the right height. And thinking about that, I thought, well, you know, we really don't know who's in there at all, <laughs> ever. And then, of course, because I'm a horror writer, I thought, well, what if it was somebody bad who was in there? Why would someone do that? And uh, this would be the opportunity for someone to get to people when their guard was down and they were in this very safe place. And boy, they could wreak havoc. And that idea of someone laying in wait within that costume character for someone else ended up being a middle scene in Demon Dagger between the demon and Drew Price. So this is the first time that that inspiration led me to write a story from the middle outwards on both ends instead of from the beginning to get my way to the end. And so I'm, I'm curious. I mean, you said that usually you you kind of start at the beginning, mm -hmm. if I if I understood you correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so so how did that process work? Did you write that middle scene and then from there figure out? Oh, I need to go back and tell the beginning, and then and then and then after that you know, go towards the conclusion. How did that work for you exactly in terms it was, of your writing? It was, it? it was just like that. And in fact, I wrote it as a short story because I thought that would be a really great horror short story where the 
the the reveal ending that there's somebody dangerous inside the costume would give somebody that jolt. And then I finished that. And the more I thought about it, the more I started thinking how this could be something longer and then work my way out from the middle um, and had to say, okay, well, if this is, if this person is, uh, if this person has to hide themselves in there and this is a demon, then uh, who would they be looking for? Well, it would obviously be a demon hunter and the demon hunter wouldn't be at a theme park by themselves. They'd have their kids and ooh, the kid being in danger would be a bigger deal. And then I started that backstory started to grow about, okay, so this person's, why is this person particularly a demon hunter? What sets them on that path? And that took me back to Drew's younger days and then uh, had to go from the front now that we've had this confrontational event and now bad things are definitely in play how is this story going to play forward to its conclusion so it was but it, I, it was different but i'm really happy with the results the way it came out that's great and i understand that uh while you were researching the demon dagger you read about a 1901 experiment by Duncan McDougall. Can you explain the significance of this experiment? Well, Duncan McDougall wanted to prove that there was a human soul. And 1901, there were not a lot of uh, scientifically accurate ways to test that. I'm not sure there's a scientifically accurate way to test it today. But his plan was, if I can weigh someone at the moment before death, and I can weigh them instantly at the moment after death. If there is a difference between those two weights, then something's gone and that something must be a soul. And he did set this up several uh, different times. I think it was six total and three of the experiments he thought were valid enough that he could, um, that he could say, yes, I have a result. And in those three instances, he measured a difference of approximately 21 grams between a person who was alive and a person who was dead. And if you read his his write-up, he was actually pretty scientific about it and uh, very specific in how he measured. And he took into account breath and he made sure that nothing was moved on the scale and all those kind of things. And he was pretty convinced that he had found that. Um, so that works into the demon dagger story because uh, people in in our story in my story the demon feeds off uh, people's souls that they voluntarily offer in exchange for shortcuts to fame fortune and things like that and once these people though lose their souls they lose their moral center so now all of the things that are kind of innate in us about good and bad and and things you should do that are nice and not nice that all of those disappear for those individuals and they become psychopathic. So there's a pretty high price. Now, naturally, of course, the demon forgets to tell them about that, you know, when they're making this trade, but they're usually in a pretty big hurry. So they're not asking for the fine print on the contract. Interesting. I'm curious if you could take us back. What was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Well, when my wife and I would go on a, a long trip someplace, a car trip, 
<laughs> excuse me, um, I would tell her, oh, you know what? I was thinking about this. This would be a really cool story if this happened and this happened and this character did this and walk her through it. And eventually she got tired of that and said, you know, why don't you write all these things down? And I said, because there's no way anybody would ever pay money to read something I wrote. And of course, I've been apologizing for that comment for 20 novels. But the uh, so she then got me as a Christmas present that year. She set me up with a writing course, an online writing course to get involved with. And I did that. And I ended up after that getting a writing coach and becoming part of a really good group uh, feedback group that uh, came out of that writing class. And during my second round of uh, writing classes, the um, the instructor said, hey, there's a new publisher coming out. It is Sam Hainhar, and Don Doria is the editor there. Well, okay, if you don't know about horror, Don Doria is like a, a legendary editor for horror books. I mean, he goes back through the heyday of the 90s and, um, you know, and so and they didn't need an and didn't need an agent. And I said, well, you know, I had a bunch of things I've written and they've all been rejected by people I don't know. I'm going to shoot for getting rejected by someone famous. So I sent the manuscript into Don and this was 2011. And a little while later, I got an answer that says, hey, we'd like to publish your book. And of course, I went into total shock. And then I assumed it was someone playing a joke on me. But no, it was all actually true. And in 2011, my first novel that got published was Dark Inspiration. And that was a whole lot of really bad writing before that. So I don't want people to think it was, oh, your first novel, you wrote it and you said, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> well, well, what what did you do before then that, um, you know, as you were working up towards that first novel that Don purchased, did you write a lot of other novels? Were you writing short stories? What I did. Kind of your learning process. I had another uh, novel length thing that I finished that was really awful, but uh, that was good though, because the idea they, and, and anybody who's an aspiring writer, if, if you finish that first awful novel and you look back and say, boy, this was terrible, you've still finished something. And that, that sense of accomplishment gives you a little um, courage to say, okay, I can go on and I can do this again. If I finished one, I can finish another. Uh, I did have, I think, three short stories that were published uh, before the before Dark Inspiration got published, and that was also a good um, confidence builder. You know, with with all the rejection that you're bound to get trying to get published, uh, those ones really help to say, okay, every little win, you know, you got to focus on that and say, if I got this one win, I can get another win after that. Sure. Well, you mentioned the online writing course that your wife purchased for you for a Christmas present, yeah. um, and that and that turned into a critique group. What um, platform or website or or resource did that um, offered that course, and is it still around? Uh, that course was through Gotham, mm -hmm. uh, and we had we had a terrific instructor. And all of the people who participated, and I think a lot of the online courses, you get more out of it, the better. The participants are it's you know it's very synergistic and i had such great people in the class and as we finished off that class i was thinking gee i hope you know somebody starts a writing group because i'd like to 
I'd like to keep this going. And then I struck me like, duh, you can start it. So, <laughs> so I did. And I took, uh, and I invited five of the folks who had the, whose, whose writing I really enjoyed because I thought if we all like the same genre and we have the same feel for it, then we'll, you know, we'll enjoy reading each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. And we got together and created the uh, Minnows writing group. Uh, and we did that for years and we're all still friends and we all still share things that um, if for critiques for each other. So it's been a fantastic, uh, a fantastic experience. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's great. And you said you also worked with a writing coach? Yes, um, who was a a college professor uh, working out in California that was recommended by a a family friend. And she, uh, she was able to give some very specific and good and detailed feedback on a book uh, that I had written after I wrote Dark Inspiration and then went back and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote based on the feedback. And that ended up being published uh, a couple of years later as a novel called Dreamwalker. So that's great. So are you working on another novel now? Uh, Yes, I've got uh, through Severed Press, I have a series of Grant Coleman adventures. These are... um, B-movie sci-fi adventure fun kind of stories about Professor Grant Coleman. He's a paleontologist who keeps getting roped into expeditions that end up finding giant monsters. And the seventh book in that series is called Atoll X. And I'm just finishing that up right now and sending that off to the publisher. And then, of course, that's spawned an eighth book that's just starting to gestate right now. So... (laughs) It's always something in the pipeline. That's great. 
Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? You definitely have to do it all the time. You can think about it in the way of someone who is an Olympic athlete, has a tremendous amount of personal skill. They've got a gift that they can that they can do uh, a certain thing, that they're an excellent runner. But they can't just walk out of their front door and go run in the Olympics. They still have to train and practice all the time. And no matter what level of gift that you have for writing, that same thing occurs. Everybody has to do it. So you need to go out and you've got to sit down and put something on paper every day. And sometimes it's a lot and sometimes it's a little. And in the time that you're not writing, you need to be doing some reading in and out of your genre. There's no way. It's the only way you'll be exposed to other styles. And I know I read a lot of the uh, authors who are with Flame Tree Press that's done Demon Dagger. And so I read, I read them and each of those, as I read it, it's like, wow, I need to up my game. You know, once you read somebody who really <laughs> writes something well, you're like, oh boy, I'm jealous. I bet I can do that. So I'd love to keep reading to keep raising the bar. And on that note, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, if if you like gothic horror, uh, you can read anything by Catherine Cavendish. She is fantastic. Um, if uh, if you like Demon Dagger, has is about possession and demons and things like that. Another great book like that that just came out is called The Awakening by uh, J.G. Faherty, and it is super scary harrowing. So um, both of those are really good authors that you should go look up and check out. Right. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, they can come to my website is www.russellrjames.com and check that. That'll list all the novels, everything that I have written and links to all of that. And you can also uh, there sign up for the monthly newsletter which is free and you'll get updates on what's going on on writing what's going on on the pretty extensive convention circuit tour that i do each year um, and even updates on fun in the garage projects that i'm doing on my car so got all of that and you can also catch me on facebook at russell r james and uh, twitter at rr james 14. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Russell James, author of the new horror novel, The Demon Dagger. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Russell, thanks for doing this interview. Uh, my pleasure. It's great to, great to talk to you. Absolutely. This is a selection from Demon Dagger by Russell James. Our story starts 25 years ago. Drew sat terrified in the small waiting room. His mother sat beside him, but her presence wasn't going to provide any comfort. After all, it was her fault he was here in this psychiatrist's office. He sure as hell hadn't signed himself up. The tiny room made him feel trapped. No art hung on the walls. The hard plastic chairs scraped against the floor when they moved. The air reeked of artificial lemon trying to mask the smell of disinfectant. Drew imagined the place had been designed to clean easily after one of the nut jobs waiting here went bonkers. And some of those nutjobs sat around him. Across from him, a middle-aged man in a golf shirt couldn't sit still for more than 60 seconds. Then some sort of nervous tick would manifest itself in his arms or legs. 
To Drew's right, a woman with bright blue hair chewed gum in a slow, open-mouthed manner. One of her arms was covered in a tattoo of Betty Boop beheading a teddy bear with a machete. These patients were all at least twice as old and twice as screwed up as 13-year-old Drew. Drew wondered if he would end up being as whacked as these two losers by the time he reached their age. The door to the office opened, and a pretty young woman in a bright green dress stuck her head into the waiting room. Drew, she said. Drew and his mother stood up and walked to the door. The woman held up a hand in Drew's mother's direction. Mrs. Price, just Drew this time, as we discussed on the phone. Drew's mother opened her mouth to object. Then she clamped her jaw shut and nodded instead. Drew had the feeling that she was ready to do whatever she was asked to do to get her broken son fixed. This was already the second shrink she'd taken him to. The woman ushered Drew down the hallway. As the door to the waiting room closed behind him, his sensation of being trapped grew stronger. The woman took him to an office that was much more hospitable than the waiting room. It hosted a walnut desk and several chairs that would have looked right at home in a living room in front of a TV. The room had no window, but there was a door on the right-hand side. The psychiatrist sat at the desk. He looked the same as the last useless shrink Drew had seen, with short silver hair and glasses with plastic rims and a button-down shirt open at the collar. Drew wondered if the two men had gone to the same medical college and graduated together. This was going to be another waste of time. Drew dropped down into one of the chairs and slumped back. Unlike the last shrink, this one did not get up shake his hand, and sit in the opposite chair. He stayed firmly planted behind his desk. Drew, I'm Dr. Hakes. You met with Dr. Owens, and he referred you to me. How do you feel that session with him went? Drew almost said fine, just to hurry this process along and get through all the standard questions, run out his 50-minute clock, and go home. And he thought, the hell with it. He decided to tell the truth and see if he could leave now. It was a total waste of time, Drew said. He listened like he didn't believe me, told me nothing useful, and sent me home. All he did was pass me on to you. That totally proves even he knew the whole session was bogus. Now he sent you to me because I've treated people who've had the same experiences that you've had. No one's had the same experiences I've had, Drew said. You'd be surprised. Tell me yours. Again, Drew decided just to blurt it all out. He'd see the look of disbelief on the doctor's face, get up, and get out of here. Fine. I've seen monsters, Drew said. The doctor's expression didn't change. Where do you see them? Usually at the mall, sometimes at the bus station. Does anyone else see them? The doctor asked. If everyone else saw them, I wouldn't be here with you, now would I? No one gives them a second glance when they pass by one. I guess only I see them. What do they look like to you? The doctor said. Drew had seen them often, but could never get used to their terrifying appearance. He shuddered as he recalled the last one he'd seen two days ago. You know, they're like a person, Drew said, only thinner. So thin you'd think they couldn't stand up. Their skin is black and flaky like it had been burned real bad. They have wide heads with curling horns like a, like a ram on either side, and their eyes are bright red. The doctor nodded and scribbled something on a notepad. Do you think these monsters see you, he said? Well, they, they see everything. They check out every person as they pass by. But, but I stay cool. I act like I don't know what they actually are. This was where the other shrink started asking questions about how seeing the monsters made him feel. Scared. Duh. Or what his parents were like. Great. Except for recently thinking he was crazy. This doctor had a different question. What do they smell like? Huh? These monsters, the doctor said. They have a certain smell. Uh... Yeah, kind of like hot tar with a little rotten egg smell in the mix. And how many fingers did these monsters have on each hand? Drew again was surprised by how specific the question was. Three. But, the doctor said, 
They still have a thumb? Yeah, Drew said. Unless this guy was a mind reader, it was pretty coincidental that he was asking about the details no one else had, and that he seemed to know the answers he expected to hear. How do you... The doctor cut him off. Drew, you need to know that I believe you. I don't believe that you think you saw monsters, but I believe that you did see monsters. The doctor wasn't just blowing smoke up Drew's ass. The look on his face said he was being serious. And because I do believe you, the doctor said, I'm going to have someone talk to you who has specific expertise in this kind of manner. Now I'm going to see a third shrink, Drew said. A third person, the doctor said, but not a third psychiatrist. The doctor got up and went to the side door. He opened it, and on the other side was a similar office with the same furniture layout. The shades were drawn, the lights on low. Come on in, a voice said from the other room. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.